Welcome. I'm Linda McHenry, host of Taking the Mystery Out of Insurance. Thanks for joining me. As you know, Clueless is a dangerous place to be. On this podcast, my guests and I help you and other insurance professionals take the subject of insurance and break it down into simple language, sharing concepts that help you and your clients avoid the pitfalls of confusion and misunderstanding. Once we peel back the complex layers to expose the basics, you'll be able to accomplish your goals without falling prey to all kinds of mayhem. Today is Tuesday, April 28th, 2020, and this is episode number two, titled Cannabis in the Insurance Industry. If you'd like more information about this subject when the podcast is over, feel free to visit my website at lindamchenry.com and reach out to me through the comment submission form. My website also shares more details about who I am, what I do, and it offers you the opportunity to submit questions for each week's Q&A section of the podcast. Today's topic is cannabis in the insurance industry. As most of you know, cannabis or marijuana, as it's more commonly known, is outlawed by the federal government. In fact, it's placed on Schedule 1 of the Controlled Substances Act, meaning that the federal government considers it to have a high potential for misuse and no known medical purpose. Now, of course, the states don't necessarily agree. And in fact, 35 states have um, actually legalized marijuana. There are 11 states that have legalized the recreational use of it. Uh, One of those is the District of Columbia. And 35 states, including D.C., have legalized marijuana, uh, medical marijuana programs for use by individuals. So we have this conflict between the federal government and the state government, which creates a lot of havoc in the insurance industry. The biggest problem in the insurance industry has to do with money. Of course, isn't that always the case? The federal government considers any business that is involved in illegal drugs to be an illegal business. So for example, if there's a dispensary that sells marijuana, even though it's legal at the state level, it is illegal at the federal level. Uh, And when dealing with a federal bank, if somebody were to deposit receipts from that legal state business, but illegal federal business into a federal bank, the bank has to make certain reports with with the federal government. Uh, And those reports all have to do with money laundering and racketeering RICO violations and all kinds of other things because most illegal businesses obviously are doing stuff they're not supposed to be doing and the federal government doesn't want them to do that. So you can have a legitimate business in the state that can't find a bank to take its money, which means it's keeping all kinds of cash on hand. And that's one of the big problems that we're seeing in the insurance industry. We have these businesses, they're being broken into, they're being robbed. Um, A lot of people think that the majority of the reason that cannabis business owners are worried and concerned is because of the break-ins and the loss of inventory. And that's not the case, it's the the loss of the cash because all their receipts are in cash. Now, there are some local banks, some county banks, some regional banks, that will do business with some of the, um, the, the, the cannabis businesses. But again, from the federal level, that's a huge problem. Now, one of the other things that you should keep in mind in the insurance business is, is the issue of marijuana and hemp. They're two different products. They're both derivatives of the cannabis sativa plant, which is an annual plant. But marijuana plants can grow and flourish and you can pick leaves from them and flowers from them long after they mature. And hemp is different because 
the plants are sown closely together. They don't grow as many leaves and they're typically harvested right after the plant matures. And hemp is used industrially for fibers and threads. There's certain kind of fancy fiberglass like material it's used for. Um, but again, marijuana and hemp are different. The federal government in the um, 2014 and the 2018 farm bills actually declared um, cultivation of hemp legal, at least in 2018 it did. In 2014, it didn't remove it from the Schedule One drugs in the Controlled Substances Act, but it allowed certain institutions of higher learning and certain state agencies uh, the, the opportunity to grow it under certain conditions. Then in 2018, it actually legalized hemp. It removed it from Schedule One, put it in Schedule Three, and it declared that the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation had to come up with rules and guidelines to create hemp as a covered commodity on crop insurance. So this year, the 2020 crop year, is the first year growers have been able to insure their hemp crops. But the problem with that is, is that federal definition of hemp says that the plants have to have less than 0.03% THC in them. So we get the seeds here in this country to grow marijuana and hemp from Canada and Europe. We don't have them locally. And there's different components and different gen, you know, GMO, any different genetic engineering and different levels of sunlight and soil and all different things that are going to create different THC levels. I mean, think about tulips. You're going to grow tulips. You get red ones, you get yellow ones, you get some that are both. There's different things you can do to the plants to make them produce different kinds of plants. Well, same thing works with cannabis plants, whether it's they're being grown for marijuana or hemp. So when we get those seeds, there's no real way to know exactly how much THC the plants are going to have. And then of course, the way the, the growers um, fertilize them and, and, and take care of them. Under recent guidelines from um, USDA, if someone grows a hemp crop and it's tested, which it has to be under federal law, has to be tested once you, once it's being harvested, either just before, I believe it's just before it's harvested. It has to be tested for THC and it goes off to a particular lab. If the THC levels exceed the federal guidelines, that crop has to be destroyed and it isn't covered by federal crop insurance. So a lot of people thought, oh gee, well, since hemp is, is legalized, I can grow that wherever I want. Well, not all the states are allowing the growth of hemp either. So a lot of states have legalized it, but not all the states have. A couple of the things that you want to think about as an insurance agent, you may not care about whether marijuana is legal. You may not use marijuana. You may not think it's going to affect you at all. But if you're an insurance agent, some point in time, one of your clients or prospects is going to come to you and they're going to ask you for advice. And you need to be able to give them some advice or you need to be able to refer them somewhere else. And there are some really unique risks that people in the cannabis business experience that you don't see with other businesses. Underwriting standards, first of all, are much stricter. People in the cannabis businesses have to have certain kinds of security systems. They have to have certain kinds of ventilation. They have to have certain kinds of light. They have to be licensed or certified by the state because no insurance company is going to issue coverage on a cannabis business that it doesn't know for sure is legal. Valuation of the plants, okay, the stock, the inventory is not based on the mature plants. 
Okay. It's based on the value of the seeds and the cuttings. Okay. So there's a difference um, with that. I mean, you, you do have valuation on the mature plants, but obviously there's different degrees of valuation on different kinds of plants. Uh, because the businesses have cash on hand, the crime coverage is very, very important and how it integrates with the security requirements is huge. And then we have the issues of folks who manufacture products for consumption that use CBD oil uh, for just the hemp products or for the people who want to produce marijuana for edibles. All kinds of issues you have to deal with there. Not only the cannabis issues, but now you're dealing with the Department of Health and the, um, the FDA and all kinds of other perspectives that you might not normally think would be a big deal. But if you've ever insured anybody, such as a restaurant or somebody who wants to make home products, you know, soaps and, and things like that, there can be a lot of issues. Then you have the, the HR risks and you have the other business risks. You have job applicants. Okay. If you're going to hire someone to work in your business, you're going to do the appropriate background checks. Uh, are, are you going to, are you going to want them to be drug tested? Okay. So you have all these issues that, that happen. What about media and communication channels? How are you going to communicate the fact that you have this kind of business and who's your client and, and what are they going to want to be dealing with? So you have your clients, but who are their clients and do you want their clients as your client through the, the business that's being conducted by your insurance client to their consumers. And then the, the financial risks are just, as I said, are just huge. Not only do you have the, the financial risks of the cash on hand and, and the theft, you have product tampering. I know there was a lawsuit in California um, about six or eight months ago where a business, a dispensary was sued because somebody got sick after they purchased some edibles and they found that the product that the dispensary sold had been grown um, in such a way that a FDA-banned pesticide was used. So now we have, we have those issues. You know, was product tampered with deliberately or is it tampered with through some sort of, of method that maybe the dispensary wouldn't even know about? Of course, everybody in that chain of command is going to be sued under the product liability. And then we have compliance. Who's doing what they should be doing legally? Uh, and, and how do the policies provide coverage? Uh, one of the things that I've seen is there's no standard policy, although there are um, some insurance products out there. CanAssure is a website you can go to, and, and the AAIS has its CanaBop program. In other words, Cannabis Business Owners Program. So there's, there's a lot of issues with the different kinds of insurance. Clearly, it's easier to insure uh, cannabis that's grown indoors than outdoors. You have crime coverage, obviously. But what about things like directors and officers coverage, cyber, you know, all kinds of, of issues that we're not seeing real sophisticated policies with. And one of the biggest things I think are the exclusions in the policies. You need to read the exclusions because I have seen lawsuits filed against insurance companies from clients who bought a policy knowing that it was designed for a cannabis business, but the exclusions in the policy actually excluded certain things. So we're not just talking federal exclusions, we're talking state exclusions. Um, and that's where the compliance comes in as well. You know, if in the state of Michigan, they insure cannabis, but the people who are growing it don't comply with state law, that could void the contract. So it's one of those things where every single cannabis policy you even think about selling, you pretty much need to read the whole thing and then compare it 
to other policies to make sure that that things are, 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 are appropriate. Now, the House Judiciary Committee approved legislation that would decriminalize marijuana at the federal level. That's H.R. 3884, so you're going to want to keep checking on that. And then there's the Claim Act out there, in addition to the Safe Banking Act, that if passed will prevent insurance companies from being held liable under federal law for providing insurance in the insurance industry. That's the Claim Act. And then the Safe Banking Act would prevent banks from being um, held responsible and violating federal law for doing business with cannabis businesses. So that's pretty much all I have for you on cannabis in the insurance industry. You can refer to my website at lindamchenry.com. I have blog there and I periodically update information as it becomes available. Uh, if you're interested in any resources, feel free to contact me on the contact page of that website. I'll be happy to share some of the resources with you. So let's move on to our Q&A section today. Each episode, I answer questions submitted by listeners. Today's questions were submitted by several people who attended a number of webinars that I presented since last week. Um, and only one of them is willing to share her name. The first question says... How will the current isolation of people and less driving due to COVID-19 affect the insurance industry? And I think we're seeing a number of states are asking insurance companies to refund premiums for drivers who haven't been driving because they've been sheltering in place. Um, so that's one of the things that we're seeing. Some, some states are actually mandating it. Some insurance companies are volunteering to do it on their own. So right now the industry is in flux because a number of states and their politicians are requiring insurance companies to respond in a, in a variety of ways. So I think we're going to have to wait and see how that rolls out um, moving forward. The second question is, in today's environment, what's the best way to get in front of as many people as possible? And obviously, since you can't do it in person, your choices are by phone, by email, or by video chat. And I think video chat right now is becoming more and more popular, and it's a whole lot easier um, to undertake with uh, apps and programs such as Zoom and Skype, and, and, and there are a whole bunch of them out there. Everyone has a favorite one. Remember that communication involves three different components. It, it involves body language, it involves the actual words that we use, and it involves intonation. And when we can't see people, we don't get the body language. So we miss like 70% of the actual communication. So I think that the video chats, the FaceTiming and the Zooming and all that kind of stuff really helps. So call your clients email them. Maybe you want to text them, see if they want to do a chat. You want to might let everybody know that you're available for video chats. And I think you'll be surprised by the number of people who want to take advantage of that. Everybody is stressed. Everybody is nervous. Everybody is uncertain. And anything that we can do to provide uh, a calming message to our clients and, and also to provide information, resources, uh, now that we're working from home, we can get, you know, we can be online anytime. We can go to Insurance Journal. We can go to Property Casualty 360. We can go to all kinds of insurance websites and, and read all kinds of insurance periodicals that have information that we can share with our clients. And the third and final question is from Liz, who wants to know what I think the windows of opportunity are that are brought by this COVID 
situation here in the insurance field. And, you know, of course, we, we want to turn every situation into a positive. And it's very, very sad that so many people are sick and, and, and have passed away. And we'll probably do so moving forward. But we are fortunate that we're working in an essential business and we're fortunate that we can still reach out to our clients and help them. So I think pretty much any opportunity that you have to talk to your clients, to help them, to inform them, to educate them, to listen to them, any of those things I think will help tremendously um, with with windows of opportunity and helping you move forward. Um, once this, this situation ends, uh, we're going to be there. People will be able to see us. We'll be able to help them. So again, we're very fortunate and we might want to um, take advantage of that. And that is today's Q&A. That's it for today, Tuesday, April 28th. If you'd like more information about today's topics or any other insurance subject, visit my website at lindamchenry.com, which offers you the opportunity to reach out to me with questions for the Q&A section, suggestions for future podcast topics, and just to chat. Next week, I'm hoping Matt Medeiros will be my guest. He helps clients in the content marketing realm, from blogging to podcasting, all the way to email capture automation and social media. Matt is your guy. He can advise and assist you with anything that helps you build your brand effectively. So between now and then, you folks, stay safe and well, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.